Welcome to the Filmesteins, the podcast where we discuss all things movies. Join us as we dive deep into the latest releases, revisit classic films, and explore the art of cinema. Whether you're a film fanatic or just love a good flick, we've got you covered. From Hollywood blockbusters to indie gems, we're breaking down the storytelling, cinematography, and everything in between. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and get ready for some cinematic magic. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash We offer tiers at the $1, $5, and $20 level, where the $20 tier grants the ability to request films for future episodes. This is the Film of Steins, where movies are more than just entertainment, they're an experience. They're an experience all around you. And welcome back to the fastest growing podcast in the world, the Film of Steins. We are the Film of Steins. The we two of us. The, the two of us, if anyone knows where that is from, write in. And I'll give you a good job. <laughs> praise. I'll give you praise. I just wanted to welcome specifically our Canadian and Korean, South Korean listeners. Welcome. Or should we say? I'm watching you guys. Thanks for watching us. We do like Korean films. And I don't know about Canadian films. Don't know if we like Canadian films. What's a Canadian film? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. They probably look a lot like U.S. films, but... I say that, but you might say the same thing about Mexico, and Mexican films definitely don't look like American films, so it's, I don't know, maybe it's hard to say. And then at the same time, Hollywood Disney films don't look like A24 films, so like, you know, it's pretty granular. But today we're talking about a classic of classics, the 1957 Twelve Angry Men, directed by Sidney Lumet. Lumet? How French are they? This an American film director. This is often cited as one of the greatest films ever made. Did you know that? No, but I can understand how it is. You think it's a great film? I think it's a good film. Yeah. Especially... I think it's a great film. I would put it in the, you know, greats of American films. I think I would. Yep. Is it great because it's a really old film, an early great film? Is that Does that make it better than great films today? I mean, I don't think just because of that. You don't think the pioneering nature elevates any kind of status and how we should perceive things? I don't. Th- I don't think so. No, if you pioneered something, you have that. Great job, You've awesome. You have that. But if someone came along and did it better, I'm sorry, they came along and did it better. But they couldn't have done it without you. But they couldn't have done it without you, exactly. So there's like. That's fine. That's just how it is. You know, Mario 64 kind of sucks, but we understand that that was one of the early. Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) We got fighting words now. Don't even pretend. (laughs) I saw this movie when I was in, I think, ninth grade in a statistics class. Um, The teacher was real ecstatic to show us this. I think she wasn't feeling well or something. And I was just like, what the fuck is this? At that time, it was probably the oldest movie I'd ever seen. And since then, I don't know if these Elvis movies I've seen are older. Um, They're probably around the time. Probably around the time. Or maybe Gaslight, when we watched, maybe a little bit older. This still is up there in the of the oldest films I've ever seen. Yeah. But I just remember when we watched it, I was I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how good it is. And I still think it's a great film. It's definitely not a favorite. It um It suffers in one corner that's hurts the film severely i think today and we'll get into that okay can't wait to hear yeah and have you seen this film before 
before this? I have, or I had, I guess. But I couldn't remember when I had seen it until we watched it. And all, I, I don't know why all of a sudden it clicked where I had seen it. So I also saw it in high school, also ninth grade. And it was in one of my elective classes. I took an elective called Law-Related Education. We didn't have that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was either that or the is it home economics the one where you like take care of a baby and learn how to bake and shit i took that you took that yeah. of course you took that you would take that <laughs> i had a baby you had a baby yeah oh no <laughs> i can't remember who my partner was we had to do it in pairs yeah and i can't remember i thought so i can't remember who it was i feel like i might remember it might be my buddy but i can't i can't put my finger on it well this elective i was like super excited about it until I found out who the teacher was. One of the lame ones? No. She, oh. Not lame as a person. She was uh, the freaking sweetest teacher I had ever known in my life. And she cared about you as a person. She was going to look out for you. Um, she's the one who stepped me outside in the hall when one of my uh, PSAT scores wasn't great. And, you know, kind of talked to me about it. And I mean, she knew how much a bad score like that would get to me. So, I mean, she was a total sweetheart. As a teacher, she was not good. She <laughs> couldn't control a classroom. I mean, her consequences to, or she didn't have any consequences to anything. You didn't do your homework. You had like three weeks to turn it in. And if you forgot to turn it in, she was still going to give you a 50 because you can't have a zero. Why not? Because, you you know, she didn't want to see you like that. If I'm ever in the position where I'm teaching public school, I and I can't tell you how excited I am to be handing out them zeros. I know. Me I would too. be psyched, man. I, I can't fucking wait. And then she was always doing like bonus um questions to test there was not a test that didn't have a bonus question yeah that gave you like 10 whole fucking points to a test so i mean that class of course i had 100 because that's the highest you could get in there but that wasn't what i had i probably had like 115 because of all the bonus stuff she gave so that was kind of a, a little bit of a downfall in the class that it wasn't taken very serious but um anyway she made us watch this movie uh i think throughout like a couple of days um during class and i wouldn't be surprised if i was the only person that actually watched it and i remember watching it and just loving it didn't think that old movies had this potential and my mom watched a lot of old movies a lot of black and white movies and they just look so boring they look so they didn't look bad they just looked boring and I don't know, but seeing this, you know, it was nice. It was a nice surprise. I agree. I think it was probably that movie for me, too, which is... I would like to say that that's a, a funny, uh, serendipitous kind of coincidence thing going on here, but I would be willing to bet this is one of those movies for a lot of people. This and Citizens Kane and Psycho and things like that. I bet you there's Grand Illusion. I bet you there's a handful of the same movies that pop up in different people's lives. And they're like, wow, all movies could be like this. And it's yeah. like, no, only a handful of them are like this. But but still, I mean, I'm with you. 
I mean, I'll tell you time and time again, I try to get you to watch older movies and it's, it is tough even for me. You know, I, it's hard to go back sometimes. Gaslight wasn't as good as even this and it was, it was pretty decent though. Yeah. Gaslight was pretty decent. I was surprised by how much I didn't fall asleep. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it helps when it's kind of low key. And I think the filmmakers of the time knew their limits. They had to keep things real domestic and, not too ambitious with camera work and everything. And that's probably one of the things that kind of sucks about like young people looking back and that a lot of it probably looks very samey because there's just not a lot of style in any of it. You know, you've got your, you've got your character actors who, you know, are great traditional, just realized actors and you have to watch movies to find that out. You can't just look at it, you know? And then the camera, but the camera work kind of, is real static, which I'm starting to learn that is my favorite part of camera work. Real stable, low-key camera motion. I don't like real dynamic shit happening. You know, think about... Like, probably my favorite shot of any movie ever is from Funny Funny Games by Michael Haneke. The, mm-hmm. yep. the Austrian one or German one or whatever. Where we're looking at the the living room scene, you know? And it's like 12 minutes of that what we see you know what we see i don't want to spoil it here you know like F- yeah you know what i'm talking about the tv and then yeah, yeah yeah the people there the people there the okay. family yeah, and the yeah, two yeah. other people yes yeah that scene very lynching and everything but it's so it's i mean i think i've brought it up to at least you before i'm not sure if i brought it up on the podcast but long takes whether they're static or not kind of give me anxiety because it's just like there's just like weird building tension that happens in me with it and yeah there's a handful of movies that really embrace that there's a movie called climax that's it's kind of cool that movie's called climax because the only climax the, the like the true climax is the end the credits because it finally kind of lets you go you know <laughs> it just fucking holds you hostage for 90 minutes there's no cuts in it it's all taken in one shot it's probably one of the most incredible things ever ever recorded hmm. wow it's a real artsy film but I'm glad we watched this. I'm glad we revisited it. You brought it back to my attention. You recommended this film. You're welcome. Thank you. And you recommended the next film, too. We're You're not, also welcome. Thank you. We haven't watched it yet, but we're going to soon. It's a surprise. Unless you go subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash filmasteins. If you don't like surprises, you need to subscribe. Yeah. And you can go ask questions at patreon.com slash filmasteins. We'll gather six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas from the audience and read them here and answer them if we're smart enough, at least. If you answer, if you ask good questions, I'll still read them, but if we can't answer them, just know that you're too smart for us. Yeah. This movie's not super ambitious, is it? We take place in 95% of it in one room, right? We're not moving around a lot. We're just, Maybe even more. Yeah. We're outside the courtroom for two minutes, maybe. Outside of the courthouse for a second. Yeah. Inside a little bit for a minute or two. And then we're in the this room that feels very small. Can you imagine shooting this film in here? I wanna I know I wanna know what the set looked like, you know, when they were recording a handful of scenes. Yeah. It, that's incredible in its own right, right? But I the first thing that comes to my mind though this movie after watching it is how they managed to tell something so complete and so good and just so 
just I, it's just so interesting. I don't know how this came to be and all happened in a single room. It's so it just tells you it just it's just kind of it's it's just a great example of the even the smallest ideas can be executed amazingly. Yeah. I mean, we have the whale is a big example. Here. I was thinking of the whale yeah. watching this movie. I was trying to think of other films where it's where it mainly takes place in one room or one setting or whatever. But I could I couldn't think of any. I I could just think of the whale. And it's crazy. It's crazy how it's still good. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't you don't have to do much to have a great film. You just got to execute it well. We don't need to travel across the world back and forth to Spain to California to whatever and have this whatever epic story of Nick Cage and Pedro Pascal. And <laughs> that's a great movie, but <laughs> eh. Oh, I mean I mean great from the sense that it's, you know, it's fun. But it's not shit. I guess it's when you probably when it's not great, when it's great. What do you think about this movie, man? This is I'm I'm very curious what you have to say about this movie. What did you think about these characters, these 12 characters? So that's one of the most interesting things about this film. You know, the characters. That we don't even have their names. We just know they're, you know, what is it, juror 1 through 12. But their personalities are so different from each other. And it's pretty great that you can capture that in such a non-intimate but kind of intimate uh, way. You know, these people don't know each other. They don't know anything about each other. We don't really know anything about them. You know, we don't get to see their, we don't drive by their family's house. We don't know. I mean, except that one guy, we know he has, has a kid. But besides that, we don't know if they're married. We don't know what's going on in their lives. But we can still know who they are by their personalities, I guess. So that's that's pretty cool that you can um show an audience that. It made me think about what a jury pool would look like today. I mean, you know, you have here these 12 white old men. You would think you wouldn't have much personality there and and it's in black and white. So even less personality because do they have brown hair? Do they have dark brown hair? Do they have black hair? Who fucking knows? I mean, it's just it's just awesome that you can you can have that. And a jury pool today, I feel like you'd have more of the same people. But then there's just so much variety today that you wouldn't, you know, you're going to put a black guy in there. You're going to put, you know, a lesbian in there. You're going to put an old white lady in there. You're going to, you know, put a younger, you know, whatever other ethnic person in there. So, yeah, I think it's especially important that these are all men of some kind of vaguely Caucasian, you know, ethnicity. Because in the remake, there's, I think, half the jury is black. I'm not sure when it takes place. I know that's kind of important to everything but here we're dealing with a vaguely the defendant is a vaguely or defendant is that right the accused is vaguely some kind of i guess what you would say ethnic person whether he's maybe hispanic or italian i think he's supposed to be puerto rican puerto rican yeah. well i guess 
Did they say they were in New York? That would make sense, I guess. So I guess if he is Puerto Rican, he's, he's kind of vaguely ethnic to especially uh, your everyday working man, white American in the 1950s and 40s and shit. And so I think that's pretty important that we have this kind of what you might expect a super conservative, not necessarily racist, but, you know, kind of xenocentric, maybe a little xenophobic group of folks who are, at first glance, maybe you would say, oh, they're going to all agree, you know? Mm-hmm. And they do, except one, <laughs> you know, so they are spot on, you know? Yeah. Except we have this one guy who brings the major theme, which is something to move. I mean, this is that hit that juror eight, juror number eight. Is that I think who that is? Yeah. He's kind of our main guy. Uh, Henry Fonda or something like that. I think the actor's name is. Mm-hmm. He brings into question of just the whole concept of reasonable doubt, a.k.a. innocent until proven guilty. And... That's something that's probably been a problem since the conception of the court system, I would imagine, right? Just based off of how you know people are always hysterical and jump to conclusion and have lynch mob mentalities, even to this day, if not worse than ever before. Yeah. Especially on the internet, especially, you know? And it's something you hear pop up throughout your life, growing up, whatever, in conversation on TV or something, reading that people are innocent until proven guilty. And it just, in practice, it never feels that way. And so I think that is us starting, basically starting the movie off with that. We get, you know, the introduction, that 10-minute introduction of the characters kind of mingling and everything. And and that, that introduction into that small room is all done in one shot until... Boom, right before we sit down and start talking, we get that first cut to juror number eight looking out the window, kind of brooding over the thing, right? Yeah. It's kind of melodramatic and fun, right? Mm -hmm. And we are kind of signaled, at least in retrospect, that he's kind of our main character. He sits down and we take, they take a vote, they think it's going to be quick, and he's, you know, he, he says he's not guilty. Because he's not certain. Because I I just, I don't know why, but that's that's awesome. Yeah, it's such, I don't want to be, you know, kind of trite here, but it's such a powerful message. Yeah, and it's so, it's so if obvious. Like, I don't know. Is it obvious? I don't know. I was, it's fundamental to our constitution and maybe other constitutions around the world and throughout time. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I don't know about the history of the court system the justice system in the world, really. But it just it resonates so much with me because it just doesn't feel like that is anywhere to be seen. And I've never experienced, at least personally, or seen it in another movie where someone is so adamant to basically want to be c- convinced. That's what he's basically asking everyone to do is to convince them. And then he, w- step, you know, evidence by evidence kind of sees holes in everything and we're not here to take sides we're here to see if the evidence kind of holds up you know we're getting and it's it's so cool it's so cool yeah this is one of those movies that i mean it 
it kind of inspires you in a way because you see that one person can make a difference. One person can change somebody else's mind and then just a snowball of mind changing. You know, and, you know, not in a bad way, not in a dictatorship, rule the world kind of way, just in a, are you sure kind of way? Like, did you see this? Yeah. Were you there? And it, it forces people to say a thing that we've brought up between each other that we just know people hate saying. And I, and I don't know. People hate saying, I don't know. Oh my gosh, yes. And this guy just, he claws it out of a lot of these guys and a lot of them blow up in some way especially juror what three is that juror three he's kind of the antagonist yes he looks like a cross between sylvester stallone and the guy the main guy from how i met your mother oh my gosh i was thinking that marshall from how i met yeah, your yeah, mother yeah. i didn't think st- uh, sylvester stallone Sylvester yeah, I didn't think that guy. <laughs> um, but yeah, he really does. And I was like, is that his dad? Is I that- know, right? <laughs> but um, it kind of has this message of, you know, question things. It's okay not to know and take that even further and question it. And then take that even further and take some accountability, you know, for your actions, especially with juror number three. So I, I, I like you know, the messages that this film had to give. Specifically for juror number three, being accountable for his actions at home. Yeah. Because <laughs> he was projecting his hatred over young people and how they, how he feel like he feels like he's been wronged. Yeah. I like that you said uh, earlier that you're not supposed to pick a side. But I think a lot of people that watch this movie... I don't know. I haven't questioned a lot of people about this movie, but I assume a lot of people watching this movie would be picking sides. You know, I I guess I was going to ask you that if you at any point had picked a side since, you know, the movie started and we're getting all these things. You know, he murdered his dad. There were some witnesses. There was a knife. There's all these things. And you're like, oh, shit, this dude murdered his dad for sure. And then, you know... I'm guessing about like three main points were made. Maybe take a a few small details here or there that kind of convince you. But there were three main points that were made. The first one was the knife that juror number eight, our main dude, went out and bought the knife, which is completely ridiculous. In a if if this was a real world scenario, oh, he says he found the knife. I thought he went and bought one. He found the knife in that the same neighborhood. He went and bought one in the same neighborhood. He found it. Where did he find it? On the ground. Oh, I thought he said he bought one. And then someone said that's illegal. They did say that. He must have bought it in the same neighborhood. He was in the same neighborhood. Yeah, he was in the same neighborhood. Oh, okay. Which that's ridiculous. Who who goes and does that? I don't even think you're allowed to do that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know laws here. But um, that's the first one, you know, the knife. You can get it anywhere. It's identical to other places. And then... Yeah, it's not that original. Like, they wanted you to believe it is. Yes. The second point was um, the old man as a witness, you know, destroying his testimony. And they did a whole little experiment, which I love that. That's... I don't know. That's awesome that 
it's like going through a drastic way to show people something even though it was so simple you know as limping from one end to the room one end of the room to the other end and timing it but that convinced some people in the room and then I guess the last one is the woman you know the lady that was wearing glasses but was not wearing glasses but had the little marks on her nose from wearing glasses so did you at any point think oh the guy the the boy did it and then you were convinced and then you were maybe not convinced convinced again guilty not guilty or did you see this film like you know did you just experience this film and you know you started out like our main dude here you were like all right doubt everything yeah i definitely did not experience i did not i I, um did not pick sides i didn't pick either side i wasn't there i wasn't presented the case you know i i can't completely makes sense yeah i can't pick sides like that and and so i'm left by default i guess on to some degree on um a reasonable doubt side because i just i don't have it's kind of i guess that's I feel like that's probably the more neutral. If you don't have a meaningful perspective, you, I think, by default, land on a reasonable doubt side because you don't, you just don't know the story. So you kind of just, you just have to live in. I mean, I guess you just live in doubt. You don't live in reasonable doubt. You just live in, you know, doubt on both about of both sides. You know, because you yeah. just, it's just a pointless place to be as far as like trying to make trying to act like a juror and not being presented the case, which I like that we're not presented the case. I really like that we don't see the scenes when they're talking about them. We get these, we get all the evidence second, second hand, right? Because mm-hmm. the jurors are getting it second hand. I mean, we're actually getting it like second, second, second hand because the jurors are getting it second hand from the lawyers, right? And the lawyers are getting it second hand from the defendant and prosecution prosecutioner. So like we're getting it really off, off, you know, hand and a modern movie you could see, you could just, you could just fucking see them ruining this, and you wouldn't even know if they they were ruining it unless you fucking saw this movie for like that you know when they when they talk about the the old man we would then start to see p- bits and drabs of the old man walking across and then they change the story and then that we'd see the scene play out again mm-hmm. and you know but he's got slippers on so he can move faster. Or some stupid shit. And, but we don't see any of that. They reenact it. Yeah. They reenact all of it, basically. What they can, even then up to the point of with the glasses. That's, you know, kind of the far as the reaction. That's the only reenaction they can really give in that. Can you see without your glasses? Oh, no, not really. You know, especially at the nighttime across, you know, what, 30 feet across the way through an L train. You know, it's like without glasses, uh, no, probably not gonna see much, you know. So it's like, well, you kind of just invalidated yourself. And then, of course, the beauty of getting your five seconds of fame is all over this with the lady and with the the um the testimonies. And I don't know, it's just it's so good. Yeah, I guess, I guess when the film started, I, I mean, I did pick a side, which is just even. It it's more like okay, this film was made for you. You know, you're the type of person that went in into this movie and thought, oh, this dude is guilty. You know, I wouldn't. I'm also just the audience. I wouldn't think that way. Hopefully, yeah, I've never been in a 
jury. I've never been in that kind of situation. God, I hope I don't act the way I do when I'm just watching a film. Yeah. <laughs> but who knows? Um, yeah, hopefully you are mature enough yeah. to be like, you know, we need to talk about this. I don't, I think he's guilty, but we need to talk about this, you know? Hopefully yeah. you would be like that, even if you thought he was guilty. Because they were ready to get out of there immediately. Yeah. And it's, it's like, I mean, it's exactly like the guy said, like, we're going to spend five minutes in here to decide a human life, an 18-year-old's human life, like, young fucking life. Like, I think he deserves more than five minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, anyone would. Yeah. Especially the, especially because the evidence is so shaky, you know? especially you know if it was caught on camera that's one thing right but we don't really have a great case yeah for you know for the defendant he doesn't have a great case or both ways because there's lack of alibi lack of good alibi and lack of great evidence it's it's a kind of a shitty position the jurors have been put in because they really just they have to hash it out yeah what's the point of even the lawyers because they did such a shitty job Hopefully they're not getting paid. Well, they're probably not. One of them's probably not. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. But like I was saying in the beginning of the film, I thought he was probably guilty. And then we have this big reveal with the knife. And I was like, okay, well, you know what? That's weird. But I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced. And I wasn't immediately, like my mind didn't immediately think, oh, well, I'm not convinced. So it must be not guilty. Which I didn't really, I guess, put it in a guilty, guilty, not guilty way, maybe. I don't know. Tell me about this old man. These close-ups. We kept getting close-ups of him. The old man? Yeah. Who was sitting next to juror eight. I guess he was juror nine. Yeah. What about him? Tell me about him. He's just the old man. He's just an old man. You laughed at him, though. He was funny. He was, he's kind of, he was kind of spouting the, like, the obvious, right? And people were just like. Well, yeah, because he, he kind of, I guess he was the crux of the old man, like the old man who testified uh, not actually seeing him. He started that. Yeah, and he started the one with the lady, too. Oh, he did? Yeah. He's kind of the crux of the whole the whole debate for the jurors. Which is funny, because at the beginning, he was in the bathroom. They were waiting on him to come out. Yeah, that was funny. Can't thing. get this show rolling without the most important player. <laughs> I liked it when they slowly but surely kind of started learning more about each other. Like when the juror number eight learned about the guy who grew up in the slums or the, maybe it was the guy. It was it was one of them knew learned about the guy who grew up in the slums and they're like, oh, shit, well, I didn't mean anything by what I've said about, you know, slum people being trash. It's like, OK, it's kind of getting juicy and then we got this guy this coward who just wants to get out of there and is like oh, i'm just gonna be not guilty you know, on the winning side of course the the ball player would bandwagon on the the winning the winning team right and then the uh that's when the um the vaguely european dude jumped on his on his ass about you know why do you change sides like you can't just change sides out of convenience of trying to get out of here sooner right mm-hmm he might have been my favorite, which I feel like is probably kind of tried to say. He's probably a lot of people's favorites, the mustache guy. Who's your favorite? I knew you were going to ask that. I'm not sure who my favorite is. I don't think I have a favorite. But maybe the character who I could relate to the most is um, the guy that got convinced, I guess, second to last. 
not the really stubborn um sylvester stallone dude but the one before him which is funny because you know throughout the film i was kind of like oh, is this dude guilty or not i don't know i'm leaning towards guilty some of this shit makes sense what about these witnesses i mean who makes this shit up you know kind of a very that's kind of the important thing right some of it can't make sense all of it has to make sense otherwise you were entering reasonable doubt you know if things don't perfectly align you can't cast guilty at all because there's not there's not a full picture there yeah you know yeah and so that's kind of the, the ironic thing about glasses is you know glasses guy is that he was kind of all about the reason and stuff and it's we don't we didn't really get in on whether he was like okay you know about these other bits of evidence that they kind of de- deconstructed we didn't really get he was too stuck on the train the lady in the train and you can so it's kind of i guess it's a great flaw in him is that you know someone the reasonable the most reasonable of the bunch you know the the academic of the bunch he even fell he was at the mercy of his own bias of being like no this this is too convincing this specific piece of evidence right here is too convincing i don't care if it adds up with the others i don't care if the others start to interfere with this one this specific piece of evidence is is this too convincing and then when you when they finally got around to deconstructing that one it's like oh shit and it's perfect because that was his that was his big that was his big hang up and he was wearing glasses and the ladies wore glasses but she didn't bring her glasses. She wasn't wearing her. She, of course, she's not going to wear her glasses going to sleep or trying to go to sleep. And we see, we know that we learned that she did wear glasses because she had marks on her face at the court case. It was great, isn't it? Yeah. Great storytelling. And I guess we, uh, what do you think? I don't, it doesn't, I don't know how effective I feel like it is anymore. I feel like it almost wasn't harsh enough, but the so called racist or at least classist, the guy who was like real caught up on like, he lives in the slums, these people are violent, yada, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And then they all stood up. Everybody stood up, and or almost everybody stood up and didn't want to hear it. They all walked away. And then he eventually stood up and walked away and basically put himself in timeout. I almost, I almost wish he went a little harder in the things he said. I feel like he didn't say very, he wasn't really, I guess... There's still an element of class just kind of in the movie itself. It's kind of a highbrow movie. Uh, so saying things like slurs might be a little a step too far. Uh, and also, I guess, ratings. This movie's probably rated PG. Or I don't even know if that existed in the 50s. But saying something really derogatory would have probably got them a different rating or caused some kind of controversy. But what do you think about that? Did you, Do you have any thoughts on that? player because he got he himself kind of got deconstructed as he, he he put his ego out there and his ideology of how he thought about people in the slums or you know people of color and he basically deconstructed himself right in front of these people and they were like not gonna have it you know this is like you're just you like you're not you don't even belong in here you know like what are you even doing here like this is like <laughs> you're the worst of the worst like what you know what i'm saying and then we had the I guess he was kind of like a capitalistic type character where he would, he was easily persuadable, I guess. that He was a cereal box designer. Is that what I heard? I think he was like number 11 or 10. The guy, the guy with glasses that 
Not the nerd. Oh, I guess there were three guys, three guys with glasses, weren't there? The nerd, the academic, stoic kind of guy, and then the 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 guy that kept taking his glasses off and on with their black glasses. I liked how he bounced between. I guess it was hardly a bounce, but he went from guilty, not guilty, to guilty, to not guilty again. And I think that's just, it's it's kind of a fun demonstration of someone of, you know, kind of product marketing will just agree with what's kind of the popular opinion to just kind of make the sale or something, you know? Yeah, so I think number 10, our uh, racist dude. Maybe for the time, what he said was, you know, racist and juicy enough for them to uh, walk away from the table. What do you think about them walking away from the table? Was that how melodramatic? Like, what is? What I was that? I like that. Oh, you like it? Yeah, I liked it. I think it was showing, you know, storming out of a room without storming out of a room. Mm. Because they can't. I think literally, right? They jurors can't leave the room. I yeah, I don't really know, but yeah, that would make sense to on some level, yeah. And then, you know, you can't really storm out after someone says idiotic things. You got to be a little more, you know, be be the bigger person, be more level-headed. So, just walk away from, just remove yourself from the situation. And um, I mean, this is the fifties, right? This is like prime civil rights time. So I think maybe on that level too, you're fighting for ethnic people to have more rights. So you're, you're, you're especially fighting the bigotry and the racism at that time. So maybe that has something to do with it too. You know, you like, come on, man, really, we're here. Don't you see all this other shit? You know, I don't know. No, absolutely. It's it, it starts to trivialize everything they've just talked about. Literally everything they've talked about. Point, this is what you're going to say? They're yeah. violent. They just breed violence. Just like... What? We, we've been discussing what whatever his character is doesn't matter. Any like Even if he was violent, that's it, not... Unless, I guess, if he has an actual history of violence, that's maybe worth bringing up in the, ca- in the court case. Yeah. But... He's not. That's just you. I wish I was a judge where I could say something. You know how they. You know how when someone will say something in court, they'll be like, "That's hearsay" or whatever <laughs> shit like that. Or yeah. Something like I'm sure this. If someone said something like that, if a defendant said it, or if a lawyer said, it, I should say, um, the judge would be like, "That's whatever that yeah. word is that they spe- use specifically <laughs> in court," which would be fun to know and hear. And then, but at the end of that, when he's like on his spiel, he's like, "What did I say? Did I say something?" And he kind of has this mental kind of destruction of his ego. Yeah. And <laughs> I like I like that. I like what you said, that he went and put himself in timeout. He put himself in the corner. I like that. And it was cool because it was also the closest to the camera. I liked that, too. It was a little soap opery and melodramatic, them moving, go, going from, like, the furthest, wherever they were sitting to the furthest point in the room, basically, all around the room. It was, it's, it's a pretty interesting, it's a really, it's probably the most stylized part of the movie, this whole interaction that starts to happen. And you start to, because it starts kind of heated and then 
almost you start to become like embarrassed for this guy yeah you know well i was already embarrassed for this guy when uh he said that he don't even speak good english and then the guy next to him the uh what is he german he's um his actor is i think he's from czechoslovakia czech or the czech republic i guess at the time and yeah he's he's like vaguely european in the movie yeah and he's like he doesn't even speak good english yeah and the guy just looked at him like shut the fuck up i like that i i like that um little interaction there it's always so funny when that happens you know in real life yeah especially europeans who learn english as a second language they know english better than any american like it's like that yeah it's like i don't know what you're trying to say with you know whether someone knows english or not is a sign of them being uh, you know allow them being allowed in the united states like (laughs) what the fuck and then the other guy says something at some other point in the movie i think it was a sports guy he's like you know they come over here and they start telling us how to run the show yeah it's kind of like in school how how many people fail their english class I think the English uh, comprehension test that you have to take in like high school to graduate is one of the most failed tests. And then how many people on top of that get, you know, great, amazing grades in English? Like, I mean, kind of like what you're saying. What is what does that have to do with anything? So it's 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 always funny. It's always funny when that's brought up. And I also want to say, was it the sports guy who said that, you know, they come over here and start trying to run the show? I don't know if it's him. I don't... It was either him or the racist guy. Yeah, I don't remember who said it. But it just, it forces the question, like, are we really going to say that people from around the world have a lesser or better sense of ethics? You know, this is like, we're talking, we're not talking about anything here that has to do with you we're talking about just the just the ethical nature of how we're dealing with this human life here like we we need to we need to find everything we can to prove this guy's innocence like what is <laughs> yeah <laughs> why like there <laughs> and there's still people like that today yeah that think that way and it's so silly especially with the internet come on there's probably not based off of any kind of um cesspool breeding type situation not where ideas are pro- proliferating but there's because there's more people in the world than there were in the 1950s there's probably more people than like just literal mass of people than there were then that are racist and radicals not that radicals are bad i guess but bad radicals whatever the bad radicals are <laughs> not all radicals are bad but. yeah i mean that would make sense what are you gonna say about the guy with the glasses i said i remember i said something about he's kind of was this capitalistic representation of commercialism and marketing at the time and he just kind of swung he swung the most and he was just not that he was trying to appeal not that he was just trying to oh yeah so that guy was super undecisive indecisive indecisive and that's that's a good point of view that he comes from an advertising kind of background marketing kind of background is that is that what they are are they just good at just kind of lying for both sides i guess 
whatever needs whatever you need to hear for you to you know buy it or agree or whatever fits move the forward. agenda yeah yeah whatever fits the agenda that's that's an interesting point I, th- I think it's i think it's cool that and it's so it's so slick because there's none of these characters are overt characters you know these are these feel very real none, none of these people are i mean the most dramatic character is the guy like you know the guy who's constantly number eight who's like but but can it happen you know <laughs> is it possible <laughs> you know it's like hey okay do we know <laughs> We we love the fire that you're starting. And I everything. don't know, can it? <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty dramatic character, I think, because that's just no one says shit like that. That's <laughs> Unfortunately, funny. you know, he's it's and he's he should be someone who we look at as a fucking hero, you yeah. know. And it's it's sad because that's he's he's trying he's he's the most American of the bunch. He's trying to abide by the Constitution to the to the T, mm-hmm. and he's kind of head. To, he goes kind of head to head with the guy who's right next to him, the the baseball guy. Yeah, and it's just kind of funny because he's the baseball guy, the American, the American America's favorite story. pastime. Yeah, and it's just it shows like a kind of dualistic sense of priorities in the world. Not that our main character is this patriot who <laughs> who you know g- reads the constitution while he's going to sleep you know mm-hmm. I, he probably doesn't because no one does <laughs> but we do have this guy who probably does go to sleep watching baseball games you know it's something that is looked at as very american and he's He's, you know, like everyone else, challenged with a, a fundamental of the fundamentals of the American Constitution. And I think I think that's really cool. And then he fucking tries to cop out by convenience, just, you know, just trying to get out of there sooner. It's like, no, oh, okay. That's, I know. Makes sense that you'd do that. Yeah, so him and, you know, indecisive dude number 12. Which one? Hang on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to think about it for a split second. Yeah, I think... I'm glad they don't have names, to be honest. <laughs> but I have to like, or I have to go around the table. Yeah, which is maybe genius design because you spend so much time in there. You don't spend that much. It's an hour and a half movie. It's quick. It's a quick movie, which is awesome in its own right. But I, you can, you just, you know the table. Yeah, you know the table. It's it's awesome. What are you gonna say? That they're probably the most relatable. Not relatable. They are related. I guess maybe personality wise or maybe decision making wise, I guess. Yeah. You know, one's indecisive, whether it's, you know, whether he really cares or not, who fucking knows? I mean, he's just this guy who's trying to just meet the agenda, like you said. And then here's our other guy who's like, okay, let let me just agree with whatever gets us out of here. Or maybe I should say that by like, he's trying to appeal to the loudest voice in the room, you know, kind of thing. Well, I guess that is meeting the yeah. agenda. So, yeah. Yeah, that's. A, I guess that's a better way of phrasing it. Whatever's going to get the most buys, the most money, the yeah. most it's like, sales. Oh, did I say that? I meant this. And then, you know, you read the room. You're like, yeah. okay, yeah, that's yeah. what I wanted. Which the baseball guy is a salesman. And he's a magician. He's a magician? 
Is he for real? Mm-hmm. I didn't hear him say that. Or he's like at least a, an illusionist. Yeah, he did some tricks. Oh, I didn't see the tricks. How did I not see the tricks? I don't remember the tricks. I think I, I th- love magic. I think when, I think when the main character was leaving the bathroom, he was doing a trick with two other guys, and we were we were still following the main character, uh, and so we just you know you're probably focusing on him. Definitely. And it happened just like that. Okay. What well, I like I like that you say that that they're kind of two sides of the same coin. Because they also are two sides of the same coin of being the most American characters. Like at first glance, we got sports guy, baseball guy, and marketing guy, capitalist guy. And they're the most indecisive. And they don't want to be there more than anyone else, you know? That's funny. It's funny stuff. It's funny stuff. Clever funny stuff. And they're stuff. across the table, which I like too. Yeah. Camera has to be boom, 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 boom. Camera has to go back and forth between them. It's good stuff. Yeah. I like that this film is kind of making them making each of the characters face their weaknesses. You know, we have, I mean, even our, you know, our advertising guy, he has to kind of face his advertising weakness, face his kind of people-pleasing weakness. You know, our racist dude, he's he faced his weakness. He went and sat down and thought about it. You know, he's the most, like, dramatic one that had to isolate himself to think about what he just fucking said. And then, you know, we brought up previously our um, analytical dude. Um, I don't remember. Number three? No, that's the bad guy. Number... Four. <laughs> Number four. Yeah. You know, I don't remember how you phrased it, but he had to face that just because you're, like, holding on to this one potential truth potential fact whatever you're dismissing all these other facts but you as a you know what did you say yeah because it would it would become i don't know how i'd feel i was thinking about it i don't know how i would feel if i think he was a broker yes so he's mathy or whatever number oriented right logic whatever right would his character have been better if if he was some kind of scientist yes and that, because, you know, being a scientist is the most important thing about being a scientist is to basically deconstruct your biases. Yes. And to get pure, raw data that you can you yes. can look through, you know, just as analytical as possible, you know. No no human input, you know, minimum, you want to mitigate that as much as possible, depending on the field, I guess it. Yeah, I think he would have been a better scientist, which I think it's why I I feel like I relate to him because I feel like he would be someone in that field in a scientific thinking kind of yeah. mind. And those people, you know, you you have to think about every scenario. You know, you have to think about all your controls. Which would have been it would have been it would have been great, wouldn't it, if yeah. he was a scientist cuz he would have then him being hung up on one fact, you know, we broke up these other pieces of evidence. We have, but we have this one piece of evidence that he just can't let go. You that's know, his it's just weakness. like that's, that's his weakness. weakness. Like, but you're a scientist, you know. <laughs> you just have this. It would be, it would have been perfect. Because I'm not gonna lie, when I think of broker, I think of Jordan Belford from know Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm not. I'm thinking wild men you know i'm thinking people who are gonna do anything to make some money to have some fun yeah i didn't i guess i didn't even think of him as a stockbroker i just thought of him as the smart dude this the the 
school smart guy, I guess. Yeah. The logic guy of the group. Yeah. When I think Burke, I don't think logic. Yeah, I don't either. I didn't think about him. I, think I didn't think about his uh his profession, profession honestly. Yeah. I just Which, thought about his personality. Yeah. His personality didn't fit what a modern broker mm-hmm. seems to be like. Yeah. Were well, the brokers back then the scientists? Or were they were they the serious ones? I don't know. I don't Yeah, I don't know. Were scientists? Wait, what was the scientist personality back then? I mean, Albert Einstein, he you know, we know his look. Look at him. Was 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 the scientist look a wild look? You know, you gotta look. They were probably thought as crazy, thought of as crazy. A lot of them probably were. Yeah, They're like this guy. No. And the guys who dealt with money were the sophisticated the smart, yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I definitely I didn't. If they if they were trying to go for sophistication, I wasn't getting that out of our the stockbroker, the broker. I was getting more academic, and I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say sophisticated academics are the same. Sophisticated comes with some kind of. I mean, maybe you see it in him. But it comes with some kind of snooty snootiness. I don't. I didn't feel like he was very snooty. I just felt like he was kind of stoic. What about you? I guess I I saw a little bit of snootiness when the old man was trying to get his point across, and then you know he's like, "Do you wear glasses to bed?" He's like, "No, I don't wear glasses to bed." Like. Come on, get get on with it. But that that's just me. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to be rude to the old man. Yeah, but he was also being targeted at that moment too. That's also true. And then we see the sweat, which is Oh yeah. I'm sure is legendary. I don't hilarious. know. That's probably endlessly fucking talked about, but we see this I guess it's great that he's bald or mostly bald. And we see this one little sweat <laughs> bead bead of sweat starting to come down on his head and he's like you know, and early in the movie he's like, I don't sweat. That's me. I don't sweat. Yeah, that's you. In those moments, you don't sweat. That's good stuff. It's good stuff. And then, I mean, not to mention the, you know, biggest learning from your weakness moment with dude number three. I like his arc. He's kind of the major antagonist here because he's he's uh, the representation of the lynch mob leader, you know? Off with their heads. Let's kill the witches, you know? We are... They fucking... They're... They're up to no good. They're conspiring. We need to get them. You know, we're not going to investigate. We're not going to spend the time with them at all. They're just you. Th- you'd ex- you know, you'd almost expect him to be the racist one, but I guess it just goes to show you how hollow racists' ideologies are. You know, <laughs> they just they crumble at their own fucking voice. Yeah, it didn't even take long. It took a one minute speech. Yeah, which might be the coolest part of the movie when he when he does that, and then it's just great that he's like, "What did I say? Did I say something?" Yeah. If he didn't say that, it wouldn't have been as good, but that definitely, yeah. it's good stuff. It's good stuff. I will say the only thing, the only, as far as performances go, the only thing I didn't like about this movie that was just like, ooh, that should have been done a little better. We need a new, we need a new take of that. Maybe you guys ran out of film, but it's when uh, dude number three started to like break down and cry. Oh, I didn't okay. like that. I didn't, I, I thought he, you know, some people just, yeah, I don't, maybe he actually cried and had his cry face on and stuff. And but you know, some people just have bad cry faces. You yeah. know, some people don't look like they're crying. Some people have super ugly cry faces. That's true. And you just you never know. So it's it's kind of a hard thing to judge. But I feel like it wasn't. It wasn't like genuine. Dra- it wasn't dra- it wasn't dramatic. Yeah, enough for me. I okay. wish it was just a little more. 
I would have taken a little more melodrama and just a little more, like, you know, choking or something before he put his head down. Okay. Uh, you know? Yeah, that happened all a little too fast for me to Yeah. maybe pay that much attention to. But, yeah, I could see a little bit of maybe, like, just even mid-sentence stopping because, you know, you have you that lump it. in your yeah, throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It. Yeah. That was the only awkward performance part I thought I... I could that stuck out to me i liked one thing i liked i was saying that before i forget the main guy henry fonda i don't know what it was about him if he's got like blue eyes or something but his he's got or his eyelashes but like his look when he's looking at people is mm -hmm. just so good like when he would be like you know but but why not you know and then <laughs> he'd be close up on his face and you can i feel like he had bigger eyelashes than anyone else maybe and yeah. i was just like he's like looking at these people like and it's just it's so good and i i guess I, I have to say the fucking editing and like angles of where eyes met each other and mm -hmm. stuff were fucking insane i cannot imagine and then some of the placement towards the end right before the racist the daddy issue guy and the broker right before they flipped i guess it was right after the racist went into the corner we get that shot of the racist the daddy issue guy and the broker all in a line with each other and then the, you know it's just a great shot because they are the last guys to be convinced we get yeah. the vote and then we see the racist he's like you know not guilty <laughs> and then we, we then we just see across the table with the the broker and the daddy issue guy i guess he's more of a the son issue guy the child issue guy. I'm sure there's daddy issues there yeah. too. Oh, he's definitely got daddy issues. It's just good stuff. And then we see a bunch of like two person, three person shots with them looking across from each other and mm -hmm. over the table and everything. It's just, it's just, it's just awesome getting that, getting that uh, eye eyesight, that um, that line of sight, sight sight of line. What the fuck is the word? Is it line of sight? Sight of eye, line of sight. Line of yeah, sight. Right. That makes sense. That's tough stuff. I I don't know if you notice it that often. That's one. That's I something. I think I only notice it when it's super stretched or super awkward. Yeah, it's sometimes it's really bad. You know who does it the worst? Hmm. You know who does everything the worst? Actually, it's Bohemian Rhapsody. That movie. I've never seen that movie. The Rise of Queen. It's so. It's only hard if you make it hard on yourself. This is a very hard example because they're all sitting around the table. They're all, they're sitting. They're standing up and down you know, moving around the table and everything, you have to get that line of sight. Positioning is so important in this. You know, there's not there's not another movie. You're never going to see another movie. Neither of us probably will see a movie with this many people in a room for this long moving this much, you know? So the your line of sight is essential, right? Yeah. And they not only got crazy line of sight shots, but they got them in like, they got these crazy like compositions of people. This you know, like my favorite. My favorite one was, I think it was the broker, the guy who grew up in the slums, and the baseball guy. It was a shot of them three looking, I think, at the daddy issue guy. It was just them looking at him, and he was just talking. It was just a great shot of everyone, of all three of them. Boom, boom, boom! Like kind of staggered because they're sitting there, you know down the table. Oh, that's awesome stuff. 
Yeah, I don't know if I paid a lot of attention to that. But it wasn't weird or awkward, I can tell you that. Yeah, that's good. It's one of those... I think it's... I'm only looking because... I felt like I was sitting there, honestly. That's good. That's good. Like across the room, waiting to see what the fuck he had to say. I don't want to say I noticed this, but I did read that the first third of the movie started out in the room, started out with the camera looking down on everybody, Mm -hmm. and then the second third was eye level with everybody, and then the last third was looking up at everybody to give some sense of, you know, mood, to set some kind of mood in hopes of having some kind of... Because I guess the the rule of thought is on camera looking down and up. Up is you're kind of looking down on your characters. You're dominating them, right? You're, you know more about the situation than them. Mm-hmm. And then looking up is they're dominating you. Yeah. And then eye level is you're being there. You're with them. Yeah, yeah, you're with them. You're sitting at the table with them. Yeah. And I'm not going to say I noticed that, but I, uh, I'm not going to say I even felt it properly. But it's it is camera. It's one of those things though it, that if you if you notice it, you probably just love the movie more. But if you don't notice it, and then you look back on, if you rewatch it and think about it, and you're like, "Holy shit, is this why I? F- is this one of the reasons I feel this way? Holy shit, this makes you love it even more." But it's it's kind of that's crazy shit. That's crazy shit. I didn't notice it. I didn't notice it. I will say not I, that good. I didn't notice it to that degree, but I do want to say I noticed in the beginning. But I thought I was just supposed to feel like I'm standing up with them. I'm also like around the room with them higher. And then when everyone sat down and I'm still up, I, honestly, I thought I was supposed to be the guy that was, you know, dude number one. I thought I was supposed to be him because he was the uh, the jury foreman, I guess, the ref, so to speak. Yeah. He but was- then we kind of went in into our main dude and then yeah once you saw him look like that you're like okay that's our main guy yeah and then he gave the not guilty verdict and so i i don't know i guess that's what i thought i was supposed to feel and then at the end you know everyone was leaving so i don't know how far back in the end you know but i no longer felt like i was sitting yeah i guess i noticed it in that sense but yeah didn't think too much of it yeah or however you felt is the valid way However, however you thought about that, I like I like that you kind of pulled something different out of that though. But back to our uh, number three dude, our daddy issue dude. I liked how stubborn he was. I don't know if I've seen a character that stubborn for that long throughout the movie, throughout a movie. But I I like that, and then I like that that was his weak weakness, you know, that he had to face. Quit being so fucking stubborn. Even when you asked him, like, well, convince us. Tell us why. Well, because. Yeah. Because I said so. Because because you're thinking the other way. So I have to be stubborn about it. I have to say the opposite of what you're saying. It's like you're you're getting so mad. You're not even listening to reason. Which... Yeah, and stop projecting your problems onto yeah. this kid's problems. Yeah. And I think my favorite scene was when they had that um, confrontation, you know, our main guy versus daddy issues guy. And I don't know what initiated that confrontation, but then our main guy called him a sadist. And then he's like, ah, and he got so mad and wanted to beat him (laughs) up. And then they, I guess. He's like, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. (laughs) And then he said, I'm going to kill you. Oh, are you? That was 
awesome. Yeah. That was awesome. It's like, huh? You just said you want to kill me. You going to kill me, bitch? <laughs> that was awesome. That was great. And then you get that little slick exchange when the broker and the daddy issue guy are at the water. And uh, he's like, man, that guy just gets me so... Go, he gets me going, you know. He gets, I get so excited when he is saying the shit he's saying, and the burger's like, "Yeah, he fucking got you going, didn't he?" <laughs> it's fucking embarrassing, man. I, we're on a team together, technically, in a way, you know. You the fucking chill, my dude. Yeah, he shared a lot in common with. I guess I was gonna. I want to say the daddy issue guy kind of shared a lot in common with the racist guy in that way, where he would just have these little outbursts that were just completely hysterical and not mm-hmm. really founded anything. And I think, I don't know if you know about the McCarthy stuff in the fifties, but I think the, that's probably one reason this movie was made was to um, demonstrate mass hysteria and not, I mean, just not thinking about what's presented fully, you know, I think this movie does itself some service justice by not involving anything to do with any kind of ideologies because it makes it timeless. So uh, that's just really a nothing point, I think. But That's interesting you say that it makes it timeless when some of these traits from some of these characters, you know, just kind of seem to have gotten worse, you know? That's sort of true. Timeless in the wrong way. Yeah. <laughs> like not, I guess not timeless in the wrong way. Or racism, classism, whatever you want to call it here, has gotten so much worse. And then stubbornness in people. Stubbornness, without a doubt, has gotten worse. Has gotten way worse. And I mean, even, you know, our people who are going to people please or are going to take whatever side is needed to, you know, get the money, to get the the fame, the whatever. Like I guess we learned absolutely nothing in the past 70 years. I don't know. Can't do quick math like that. Yeah, it was 70 years and four, four more years. Oh, shit. 57, okay. <laughs> so maybe you can explain this to me, which I don't know if I fully understand the reason for all the sweating why was everyone sweating? I mean, I know I understand it was supposed to be like the hottest day of the year, which okay. Did it just happen to be the hottest day of the year when they were filming and it's back then? Like I I don't know. Or did they just do that for that one guy that didn't sweat so we could have a dramatic one sweat running down his face? Like I don't know. Was it is do you think there there was more to it? Yeah, there's an age old kind of point people like to bring up and studies have been made um there was a famous study i think in the 80s demonstrating that crime and violence is increased when the when you have abnormally hot days when it's you know like Mm. on abnormal times yeah the most famous movie that does this is do the right thing yeah it's a great movie and we see that echoed here i guess this is an earlier echo in the cave of echoes and it just it works on multiple levels and that ladies and gentlemen is good storytelling good filmmaking 
when you have something, a detail like that, that can work on at least two or more levels. And we see it happen here on at least two levels. Like you just said, with the, the kind of hysteria, or I guess like we had, we just said about the hysteria and outlashing and violence, not verbal violence, I should say, not violence, violence. And then also in a great character way, the guy sweating, right? I mean, it was making me uncomfortable how sweaty everyone was. Yeah, and it helps. You, you saying that made me think of a third right away, that the the claustrophobia, the... I said that really... Claustrophobia. Did I say that really Italian? I feel like I did. I feel like you almost said it with a lisp. Claustrophobia. <laughs> hey, go ahead. Sylvester Stallone? Uh, he has he's, a lisp. He's... I think the. I don't know if I've ever seen him in a movie. So, I don't know. Uh, I have no idea. Yeah, I'm not sure if you have or not. I get him mixed up with Al Pacino. I'm just saying. Cappuccinos. Cappuccinos, the the claustrophobia and the heat, great pairing to have in this, you know, in this heated, no pun intended, kind of argument. It's you could probably I bet you could find think for another two minutes and find another one. I yeah he's in he's in a lot of B tier shit to be honest. His most famous movie is probably Rocky. He's Rocky. Yeah, I know that. That's that's really all you need to know. He's in the Expandables. I'm not even gonna attempt to say that. <laughs> you like that answer with the heat? Yeah, that's good. That's a good answer. And it. it it makes sense. Yeah, I guess. I mean, we have that too. It's hot here. It's when hot. it gets hot, it gets fucking hot and people get irritated. It's hot here down in the south. Down in the south. Especially, what, August? August Is August our hottest month? Yeah, July, August. Yeah. They're both shit. So we're experiencing it now. And people get, people get flustered. People get frustrated. Dogs die in the heat. That's true. Down here. Down here in the south. Down here in the south. Give me your best southern Mississippi impression. I don't know if I get on the spot. Shit, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, I just want to go, go like full hillbilly. Oh, you want to go that kind yeah. of south? <laughs> I'm like, okay, no, no. <laughs> Down here in the. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm thinking. Sixth generation, seventh generation, old black man living in his cabin. That's what I'm. You're thinking. That's what you're channeling. Yeah, that's what I'm channeling. Okay. Not the off the grid cannibal motherfuckers. Yeah, I'm thinking <laughs> like uh, overalls and a straw in their mouth. Yeah, shotgun, two bar- the double barrel shotgun with their yeah. the straw hat too. Yeah. They'll eat your ass. I should channel. Uh, like a southern bell kind of yeah yeah you could do that yeah something like in a georgia kind of yeah <laughs> and tell everybody bless their heart so this movie suffers from something greatly i think i think i brought it up in the beginning that there's something about this movie that stands out to me like a sore thumb is that the saying yeah that's a weird saying now that i just said that I'm going to say it stands out to me like a pair of black eyes. Did I say black guys or black eyes? Which one? Jesus. 
That's like funny. a pair of black eyes. Eyes. Like someone's got black eyes. But guys, <laughs> that's my country coming out. Okay. It's the score. <gasps> the score in this movie sucks. The score is a major product of the 1950s and before and a little bit after, for sure. It's so unremarkable for such a remarkable, remarkably performed and shot film that it it compromises the film. You think it compromises the film? I think it hurts the film severely. Wow. We need we need a I'm actually a little surprised. I didn't see it, but I, I'm a little surprised there's not a I'm surprised there's not a like a, a recolorization of this film cuz this is such an iconic film. I don't know if that's a common thing to do either. Is there a recolorization or a a colorized version of Citizen's Kane? Citizen Kane? I'm not sure. But and I know that's you know that's like one of these films. I'm not I'm not sure if they do that kind of shit. You know, they did that with Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz is like 20 years older than this. I thought they did that with everything, honestly. Yeah. It's a lot of work cuz I because I remember seeing like commercials, maybe when I was younger. About is it Shirley Temple? Yeah, and Shirley then they'd Temple's be like now in color. Yeah. Yeah, they did. I remember those. Yeah. So I was like, oh, they're making everything now in color. Cool. Yeah, there's also World War Two in color. Ah, okay. They they colorized every, all the footage and shit that they had. It's it's super neat, and it's you know it's cool. The color coloring technique is cool. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with you there about the score completely. The score was just, you know, I I, I wrote down in my notes just score equals old and then a question mark because it didn't it it just made me feel like okay, it was it was old. It was old sounding, you know, it was placed I- where it was placed where older movies would place music at and you know sounds or whatever and it just didn't stand out in any way but i don't think it com- it compromised the movie i just think it was you know you're able to ignore it really yeah i was not able to ignore it cuz i guess and it's 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 mostly unfair to really say because obviously the technology to score films like today is was just not there obviously right um, I'm not sure about this film, but a lot of films, you didn't record any audio on set, anyway, like at all. You just didn't have the resources and technology to, mostly I guess resources to, to do that. We didn't have incognito mics and stuff to, to get audio, and so we, all that was done post production. Yeah, which is crazy to me. I. I haven't thought much of filmmaking throughout, you know, my years, but never have I ever thought that they didn't record, that it was really, really, really common to not record sound or I guess dialogue, whatever, while they were actually fucking talking. It just seems like a waste of time, but. It makes it pretty impressive to kind of match up the lip sync, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which when you. When you realize that it almost makes a lot of voice acting a lot worse, because voice acting there's a lot of bad voice acting out there, like for animated stuff. Mm-hmm. 
And when you realize that there's better voice actors who do live action stuff that have to re-record everything just because of, you know, what they're doing and everything because they're outside a lot. You know, yeah. you can't record audio if you're walking around in the fucking field when it's windy, right? True. You got to redo that. Yeah. Yeah, this, this kind of stuff just makes bad audio worse bad um voice acting worse and i don't i don't i don't know exactly why that is but it does kind of it just like i brought it up before in a different pod in a different episode the film the bad guys i think is what it's called it's like a the bad an- guys yeah i think i think it was a dreamworks animated film last year yeah with the wolf and like a snake and yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It was so bad. The voice acting was so bad. It was so fucking bad. I could not get over it. I wonder if you brought that up in our Mario podcast. Yeah, maybe. About it might have been. Princess Peach. Because we need the we need we all need to bow down and fucking apologize to Chris Pratt for you know thinking he was going to do a terrible job. He did a fine job. He was okay. He's much better than most voice actors, <laughs> yeah. and he's not a voice actor. You know. Yeah. So people, you know, need to get off his fucking dick about that. Well, it's funny you say he's not a voice actor when technically... Yeah, I guess he's not. Are they all voice actors if they're going back and re-recording? Depending on, yeah, depending on... I mean, it's a good point. It's kind of... It's a good point. It's kind of like trying to say, is a, C- a heavily CG film an animated film? Sort of. Like, so these are... You know, a lot of these guys do uh, pickups. That's what they call them. I think it's what I think it's what they call them. Yeah. Okay. What are they picking up? food you know what pickups is pickups are when you need to get more lines out of people that they didn't record before they call these what do they call it i can't remember there's a different word for it actually okay that's gonna bother me i'll find it later i'll bring it up in different podcasts so i know you brought this up um a lot earlier in the podcast or in the episode about the um our boy our uh accused our Puerto Rican little boy. We get one uh, tiny shot of him in the beginning where he looks, you know, so sad and miserable. And, you know, kind of has real like... Real close up. Yeah, real close up, like puppy dog eyes. How did you feel about this scene? And do you think that this would have been a stronger or weaker movie if they didn't have this? Or do you think he was kind of necessary for us to kind of feel bad for him? I think it was necessary for for them to show us. Because it helps set the stage of this is a human being. To feel bad? No. I'm not feeling bad. I'm not feeling bad about the situation. I'm feeling bad, bad about maybe about his dad. Because, you know, a life was lost. You know? Yeah. I feel bad for all life lost, uh, human life at least. You know, I don't, I don't care too much about the chickens. <gasps> I'm gonna eat the motherfuckers up. No, I'm take sorry. Back. <laughs> Come on, we gotta care about the chickens. Can you replace that with um, insects and Impl- mosquitoes? Replace that with uh, mosquitoes, f- please. If I could exterminate the mosquitoes, I, I would do everything I can in my power to, all right. to help do That's that. Fine. I fucking hate mosquitoes. Okay, I take it. <laughs> but I like eating chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do too. <laughs> Especially with their little wings. Oh, no, okay, all right. Back to uh, uh, the scene with the boy. 
I think it was totally essential we saw him because it helps that set the stage to, you know, get into one of the major themes of this movie is how do we deal with what are the consequences of someone who've done something and like especially with you know, in a situation where it's okay for not okay necessarily, but it's a it's part of the procedure that this person could lose their life in return for what they did. And we, as the audience, need to at some point be reminded that this is a human life. And that is done a couple times through our main character and I think the old guy. Yes. But it helps give us a face. So there is some sense of, you know, it it does kind of, it, it does force, it does manipulate you just a hair. And the, at the very split, you know, for a split second, maybe this is the negotiation that had to happen in the beginning, though, because we needed, we did need a face, you know, we needed the stage of life that is beyond fucking trial, right? But we couldn't see it long enough to be manipulated, because if we saw him multiple times, if we saw his life and stuff, mm-hmm. it would have, that would have been some manipulative shit. That could happen in a different movie, but it just it can't happen here. You know, we're jurors. We're participating with jurors. We don't know this kid's life. You know, we can't. We shouldn't see anything about what happened in the past. That's why if we saw any of the evidence play out, you know, um, I'm trying to think of a movie that's like or something like where flashbacks play. You know, I don't. I can't think of any at the top of my uh, head. Like in a court case, like Emily Rose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Perfect example. Like we we didn't see anything play out like we saw in Emily Rose, right? Yeah. Because we were in Emily Rose, we were heavily focusing on the priests. So we were they were that was the only way for them to really get his perspective across to us was through his, what he, you know through what we saw what what you know we saw what he saw right right or so what he thought he saw you know yes and that's an important yes. part of the whole situation right and it. It, you know, it can hurt a film. It can help a film. It's you know case by case basis, but it would have severely killed this film if we saw any of that. I think this movie wouldn't have been remembered for nothing if we saw one ounce of that shit, because this char- this movie knows its place. It knows its it knows the role of its characters, and it puts us there, and it keeps us there, and in fact, it it goes so hard on that fact. That we don't even see the verdict, like the true verdict. We don't see what happens to the kids afterward. We don't the kid. I think I said kids. We don't see that what happens to the kid afterwards. We don't see what actually happened. You know, and in modern movie you could very easily see. You know, the audience gets a little, gets a little bit on. You know, they get they get to go on the inside a little bit, yep. and we get to see what happens. And they're like, yeah. "Oh shit, the jurors were all wrong." You know. Yeah, he did kill him out of in cold blood, yeah. you know, and but we we didn't because that's that's not the point of the movie. There was a there was there, I don't know if we've seen a movie with so much vision and direction and 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 you know intention. Yeah, I I think that was very well said, especially um, you know the end there that we didn't see any of the um, you know aftermath of their. Um, decision or their uh, verdict which is what made me think of this question 
because at first I thought I don't think that was necessary. I don't think we needed to see the kid, and it 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 brought, you know, it brought the question of why then why did we, you know, and I I kind of approached it from a oh feel sorry for him kind of point of view. And I'm sure the director would hate to hear that. Just because he looks so sad, he did look so you sad. know, like. But he couldn't not look sad. He couldn't not look sad. Yeah, yeah. If he was laughing or grinning, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. you, you monster! Exactly, exactly. Or you know, maybe if we would have seen like a silhouette, you know, I wouldn't have felt this. But it would have felt too objective, you know. It would have felt too calculated. Yeah. It, would've, it wouldn't have felt like this was. This is this is this is not an experiment. This is not, you know, your your math homework. This is not the fucking stock market you know just watching this kind of you know just this it's we're not interpreting any kind of data yeah we're dealing with a human human life and we were told at the very beginning if this person is guilty they're definitely you know being put to death get the chair yep and so it's not yeah someone else said that too in the movie yeah Yeah, i guess in the 50s i would expect as much too yeah i i I really like what you had to say. I appreciate that viewpoint because I was I was thinking about it. I was questioning that decision there to put him in, put him in the film. I think it also helps that we see him so close too because it's it's fast. We see him close. We don't even we just we don't even get a sense of how big he is, who he is, where he, what yeah. is he, you know, nothing. His clothes, yeah, it's so nothing. Quick. It's yeah. so quick. We just see flesh. He's a boy, vaguely ethnic. That's it, you know? He's mm-hmm. got teary eyes. He's shooken up. That's it. It's quick. I don't know, maybe maybe five seconds. It's just it's Yeah, it's super quick. You don't you don't even Yeah, you don't even get to look at it, any of his features for that long. I like that. I like that. Yeah, and I'm I'm sure that was probably if I had to guess, that was probably one of the most difficult things the director had to negotiate with you know, telling this story mm-hmm. was because he he tried his hardest, as everyone who worked on this film did, to not. It was a kind of a theme of the movie to not manipulate, to not judge a book, and us seeing anything not from the jurors' point of view would have been would have killed it, would have just killed it, and so and the director obviously knew that. Yeah, Sydney. Um, Lemay, Lemet, Lemay, Lemay, He knew that, and I'm sure that he, that kept him up at night. That five fucking seconds kept him up, and I guarantee you, I just I could smell it. You know, it's just so obvious to me. Because we even, I guess the um, the other half of that little bit that happens right there, a little scene, is I think we right before we see the kid's face. The jurors are like walking away, and they're like a few of them are looking back at them, and yeah, they're. It's almost like they don't. I don't know. It's like it's somewhere in between. They don't want to look at them, and it's real casual. There's something I don't know what that is, and it's it. It's it works for me. It works for me, and I guess also we got to bring up the the judge's attitude when he's telling them, you know. He's fucking bored. He's, uh, <laughs> it's it's kind of weird. It's kind of a weird 
attitude the judge has got and it's it's so dramatically different from anyone else in the movie so it kind of stands out to me and it's real quick you know it's 20 seconds 25 seconds half a minute maybe yeah and he said you know he tells the jurors what they're gonna do and what happens if he's guilty yada 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 and he's like he's like leaning over his desk his his hands on his cheek and it's almost like is it i'm not sure is it almost like the judge thinks this is you know this is cut cut and dry is it cut and dry close this case closed go vote come back out let me know yeah maybe yeah which gives you know our guy way more power yeah yeah Uh, i just i guess the last thing i want to say about the this film and the score is after it's almost it's almost i guess that's where i was going earlier is it's maybe not fair to judge it compared to modern movies because of just the sound able to record sound and and just the the artistry that's come with it or that's developed with cinema over you know the last hundred years it's after films like the whale and you know banshees the ban- the banshees of Inishirin and Inishirin or whatever the fuck it's called Inishirin yeah and I mean just I mean R R R I mean just so many great scores out yes. there now so many that are complemented by a great movie you know I guess that's really the other way around the score usually the score needs to complement the the core movie and I in the last twelve months scores have just stuck out to me more and more. Not sure why, but this, it's so, it's so fucking old. It just. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Maybe what? Maybe you will need to see other movies from, you know, 1957 or around the time to get a grasp on. Yeah. Did he even have the capabilities to do something better? Yeah. Probably not. If I had to guess, I, and so it's, it's, it's not really fair. It's, it's hard to be. It's hard to say anything in fairness. It really is, but it's just kind of un. It's just it just kind of sucks that that is what doesn't hold up because it couldn't. I think. Yeah. And I hate that for everyone involved. And I wonder what Sydney Lament Lament Lemay would say today about that. Well, he died in 2011, so he probably said something about it. Shit. Dang, he was 86. Jesus Christ. Old, old dude. Yeah, my final thoughts on this movie is that if you are going to endure a black and white movie, this is a good one. This is a good one to uh, sit through. Yeah. And it's such, and I love it, it's such a mm, inspirational or kind of... um. It's... It's got it, this movie's almost a like movie representation of a role model of how one should fucking operate in society. Yeah, and I guess I'm trying to say that it's such an inspirational movie that it's referenced yeah in a lot of places. And uh influential. Yes. Yeah. What did I say? Inspirational. Inspiration. Influential. Both. Both. That, yeah, that's the word I was fucking looking for. Yes, influential. And in, uh, in doing my research for this film, 
I came across an, I guess it was an article. I don't know what it was, but um, they were kind of talking about other movies and TV and whatnot that have rep replicated some either elements or the whole like uh, plot of the movie. And the one, one that came up was hilarious because, you know, I, I've seen this and it's probably one of my favorite shows of all time, Hey Arnold. And when I saw it too, I, I remember the episode so vividly. And it's, it's just like the movie. It's uh, Eugene, you know, the guy who's always getting hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he's on trial for pulling the alarm clock the um not the alarm clock the uh, uh fire alarm fire alarm and it's like all sticky with like i think like peanut butter or something he was jellies he was eating something and um you got arnold of course is your main guy who's like wait a minute is he guilty i don't you know let's look at all the evidence here you know kind of level-headed and i think helga was you know, our, our antagonist, she was the stubborn one. She was like, no, off with his head. And um, Phoebe, who was kind of like the smarter one, was kind of like the analytical dude or the stockbroker dude. And, you know, all these like small little characters were playing. And it, it, it was like one episode, just how the movie was. But I think, I, I think in the episode... Eugene did pull the fire alarm and then we have this like kind of evil telling of his story of why he did it and he was like explaining himself I don't know but I like that I like that it's such so influential and I can't wait to um notice it more in other movies and tv like we did with the walking dead um a few days ago not a few days ago probably a few months ago Mm -hmm, yeah a few months ago yeah it's referenced literally <laughs> by by recre recreation and symbolic maybe? and symbolically and metaphorically of course and yeah but also i would imagine through character mm -hmm. and how you write characters and how you just write a film and how you write a plot in films i would imagine in every single how to write a cinema book there this is a heavily referenced brought up movie in that book because i mean just just watch the fucking movie man yeah Dude, rightfully it's... so well thank you for watching this movie thank you for letting me pick something for once you're welcome <laughs> didn't you pick the last one? Oh yeah i did <laughs> <laughs> the last one netflix kind of picked it for us sort of yeah just saying yeah well yeah thank you for watching this with me i believe this is a criterion collection film so we're gonna eventually yeah. do every single criterion collection film movie there's over a thousand of them so stay tuned for the next one great and stay tuned for at <laughs> least a thousand more episodes oh <laughs> and a lot of those are old movies <laughs> oh. i don't i, I I don't know if they filter it quite right, quite in such a way where you can see exactly how many old movies there are. Like, you know, if you could do, if you could, if you could filter between like 1920 and 1960 or 1970 to see exactly how many old, mo old movies are in there. But I bet you, I bet you half of the movies are 
from the 40s and 50s and 60s. I yeah. have to guess. What's an old movie? You know? An old, an old movie is um, pre-2010. Wow. Yeah. I don't agree with that. But you know what? You guys should leave a comment. A comment and tell us what you think <laughs> an old movie is. And then maybe put your age next to it so I know What's why you're thinking that. What's an old movie to that. you? <laughs> Pre-90s? An old movie to me? Yeah. I think, yeah, pre-90s. Yep. Just if it's if it's too slow and putting me to sleep, old movie. Man, it could just be a sign of a bad movie. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's true. <laughs> you got to kind of, you know, uh, pick it apart there for a bit, but. Yeah. Well, um, how much do you think this movie cost to make at the time? Not. Oh, yeah. I think I, my guess for the budget is 60 or no. Six hundred and fifty thousand for the time at that time. It's a good guess. <gasps> it is a good guess. That's a good good guess. <gasps> what is it? It's three hundred and thirty seven thousand. It's pretty good. Okay. Pretty good guess. Yeah. Okay. Okay. See, my logic there was, I would give it two million now, today. Kinda. It's a little. Yeah. Not too many about right. Think about the whale. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because we, you have to remember, actors didn't get paid like they do today. Actors. But you said that doesn't count into the budget. Oh, I mean that's that's fair. That's true. So I didn't think about that. That's fair. Yeah. That's yeah. Good point. Good point. So I, I mainly, I guess, I thought about. I guess everyone didn't get paid as much as they do now because the unions. <laughs> I don't know. I just felt like two million, you know, anywhere from one to two million was yeah good for about its time. Yeah. But then, God knows what that translates into in the nineteen fifties. Yeah. So I yeah, was like, okay. basically, knock off a zero. Yep. Yeah, at that time. Yep. And then you know what? It was like more than five hundred, so less than one million. Yeah, movies. Didn't start becoming super expensive until, well, they started to inflate, and they, I guess they they kind of had a there was a little bit of a trend there, and then they really started inflating in the seventies, and then in the eighties, and then in the nineties, and this gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But there was a there was a period between the nineteen twenties and nineteen forties where movies were not moving much. That's crazy. Yeah. Do we and, know how much? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, we can say how much it made. But you can finish your thought. Oh, I was just gonna say that people, actors didn't get paid as much either. They uh, mm-hmm. people made careers out of being actors. They didn't, you know, <laughs> they didn't get paid ten million dollars on one project. And you know, that's your. It doesn't matter what world you're in. Ten million dollars, you've got generational money. You're ready to. You're pretty much good to go. Yep. And that's uh, not uncommon for big actors these days for some reason. But it made. Yeah, um, how much did this movie make? This movie, according to the Wikipedia, made two million dollars. In its time? Um it's probably a little hard to say. Okay. Because this movie Did it go to theaters? Were it, there Yeah, it theaters? only went it there were only theaters for a long time. People didn't start buying movies until the late sixties and seventies, and then you were only buying them if you were making 
big money. And then... Do they only play stuff at drive-ins? Th- Is dri- Were drive-ins? Oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. were drive-ins what? When were they invented? The same time. Same time theaters were. Hmm. Their drive-ins heydays were probably a bit 60s and 70s because that's when you had a lot of... Like, these drive-ins could get movies cheap and they could just show them over and over yeah. and over again. And you get a lot of people in there. Yeah, and you get a lot of people in there. And you, you know, not very much cleanup and shit. You know, you just yeah. get the cars and yeah, yeah. That two million dollars comes from over just over the times of you know the VHS. You know, at at the time, of course, reshowings, drive-ins. Right, this was definitely shown in many drive-ins, uh, and then the VHS and different forms of home media and DVDs eventually. And so you're saying it's had quite some time to. It hasn't quite money. some time, so yeah. I imagine that two million is not very one-to-one because mm-hmm. of just the nature of inflation from the 50s to now uh i, I think it'd probably be pretty hard to track for n- people who don't own the rights to it you know i imagine yeah. they only really people who have a solid number like that okay that's interesting if i had to have to, I, that's that's my two cents on that yeah yeah man well thank you for watching this film with me it You're was welcome. a great film what do you give it on your letterbox Ooh, I have to think about that. I just instinctively want to say 4.5. Damn. I don't know. Yeah, I'm stuck between a 3.5 and a 4. Whoa. Because it's old sensibilities do hurt it in some ways, but it's in the ways it's good, it's better than... I mean, it's as good as it gets. It's just it's how to make a movie done right and... Yeah. It, it's hard. It's hard to not want to fault it for its score, but I just can't. I, I just, I don't, I just maybe need to let that go a little bit. But I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. Maybe I'm a little bit of a hypocrite trying to defend that because it's, it's just one of these things. Do, you know, do these things age well, you know? I think this movie aged very well. I think this movie ages well almost everywhere except the score. Kind of, but like, and and the how, but it's like brings up the question: How important is this score? Because you know, in like Mario sixty four, what doesn't age well in Mario sixty four? Everything about it doesn't age well. So it it really starts to just not be good at all. It is not fun to play. It's not even. It's not interesting to play. It's it doesn't. It's ugly as shit. You know. It's it it. You have to play on the the N sixty four controller, which is shit. Yeah. So it's just, it's one. It's just kind of a funny negotiation that has to go on in my head. But I like it more now after talking about it. Oh, I do. Good. I like. You made me think of some things that I didn't think about before, and it only helps elevate the film. The you know the the parallels and the dualistic kind of things that are happening here, and the deconstructions of thought and whatnot. It's it's good stuff, and it's it's hard to not just gush over the film but there's just like this little thing that's just not mm-hmm. not good like it's 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 so not good it hurts the film but yeah i don't know what that thing is i don't i don't quite feel it as strong as you do but it, there's just something there that doesn't make me want to give it a five but yeah because it's a great 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 film yeah well thank you for listening to this 
very fun episode of the Filmasteins. Did you have fun? I had fun. Good. That's good to hear. Can't do this without you. <gasps> That's right. Take care, you guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, guys. And that's a wrap for today's episode of The Filmasteins. Thanks for tuning in and joining us on our cinematic journey. We hope you enjoyed our discussion and gained some new insights and perspectives on the world of movies. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform, especially Patreon at patreon.com slash And follow us on social media for more film-related content. We love hearing from our listeners, so if you have any feedback, suggestions, or movie recommendations or book recommendations, please feel free to reach out to us. Until next time, keep watching and keep loving the magic of movies. This is The Filmasteins signing off.